0: and finishing your very own oncology case report. Save your seat today at the OncoPT.com framework. Again, that's the OncoPT.com framework. Welcome to the OncoPT
1: podcast, where you'll learn from oncology experts, practitioners, and patients to help you on your journey to become a confident and competent OncoPT. Here's your host, Elise Decker.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the OncoPT podcast. We've got a new topic here on the podcast that I have talked about but really haven't gotten into and especially haven't had an expert on the podcast to talk about. So I'm very excited today to have Dr. Aubreen Fiore on the podcast to talk about wounds and why they belong in oncology care and what we need to know about them. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Aubreen Fiore. Hey,
1: thanks, Elise, for having me. Yeah' so nice can you tell us, everybody.
0: Fantastic. Can you tell us a little bit about your practice before we get started into the wound care specific stuff? Yeah, so I do
1: a little bit of everything. so I don't like to be pigeonholed into any one thing and I get bored kind of easily. So I do some teaching um, mm-hmm. at a couple of different PT schools, mostly in the Chicago area, but I've also done that in Florida. And then I am a PRN inpatient and outpatient physical therapist, um, primarily in oncology and wound care at the University of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And then I also am a PRN therapist at Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa, Florida.
0: How do you do that? Like, do you, uh,
1: do you? <laughs> uh, you have amazing uh, managers and coworkers that allow you to have flexibility. So I used to be full time mm-hmm. at Tampa um, and by being full-time they could see like okay she can we can work together as a team mm-hmm. she's integrated so starting off as PRN and going back and forth would probably be too challenging but since you already know the systems um it's much easier and so i have to go back every um with like a frequency of at least every quarter and you know go in and i just see whatever they need at the time like if, whether it's inpatient or outpatient whatever is high volume somebody needs troubleshooting on a patient or something like that i can jump in
0: that is really cool. And I really Fun. like the flexibility of that. Um, that's something I was actually talking with another guest earlier this week about like, getting to do different things because you're interested in a lot of things. And I definitely identify with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, physical therapists do not have to do
1: any just one thing. I mean, you can do lots of different things. You could do a little bit of, you know, home health on the side, you could do a little bit of, you know, nighttime work, weekend work, you can there's a lot of hours available to us, mm-hmm. and especially if you have your own uh, practice, you can make it whatever you want it to be. Yeah.
0: How did you get into teaching?
1: So the teaching um, was a little bit of part of, there was a practical component that was like a practicum as part of my um, DPT program. And you had to pick like something that you were going to do a big project on. And mine was in teaching and wound care. Um, because I had threaded it out throughout my, um, all of my clinicals. And like, it just kind of happened that way. And then was very interested in it. And so um, by learning the teaching component, and it was, there was a lot more to it than <laughs> you see as a student. There's um, a lot of uh, depth and a lot of things that go into it. And I didn't even get to attend all the, the meetings to even know that there was even other layers on top of that. And so, um, started teaching like a class here and there. And then when people would have the wound care topics at their, you know, schools, they'd be like, wait, we don't have anybody or that person left. And so then I would get recommended. And then, um, from there it, it expanded once I started, um, going into oncology and lymphedema that, um, you know, I had the, you know, great privilege of, um, working with Tony Sander and, um, she's you know just been a huge uh, person in bringing the whole oncology um certification you know all the abbts she's been one of the spearheads for that too and she um was helping me at the clinic that i was at which was in Air northwestern and then she was like well i'm starting you know this whole oncology lymphedema wound care would you help teach and then it's just kind of gone from there
0: so why oncology? How did you get into that realm of physical therapy? So I had done some oncology before. I had, um, my early part
1: of my career was actually in pediatrics. Mm-hmm. I thought I only wanted to do only kids. And that was going to be, you know, what I was going to um, work in. I was actually at um, Texas Children's Hospital. Um, oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> not far from you. No, um, and did a rotation there. And there was definitely a lot of oncology within that. And it was it was very interesting, but there wasn't a lot of um, information for physical therapists. I mean, I've been out mm-hmm. for quite a while. So, you know, almost 20 years. So there wasn't at that time, um, you just wanted to keep people active. You knew about, you know, some lab values and things that were important, but there wasn't a lot of, hey, here's what's happening, you know, within that. So mm-hmm. I didn't know that that was even something I, you could you know, do is all oncology. I didn't know that. So then as I was in more in wound care, um, some of my patients just were not like the edema um, type patients, like the venous wounds and stuff. They weren't getting better as quickly as I would like. And I was like, there's gotta be a missing component here. Like I'm addressing nutrition, we're doing everything else. Like what else can I be doing? And when I went and um, decided to do lymphedema certification, because they were going to be opening a new um, cancer center and they, you know, it was primarily geared just towards breast cancer. And I feel like a lot of facilities when they get started, that's, you know, kind of where you hear the physical therapy coming in Mm -hmm. is primarily within the breast cancer population. And so they wanted somebody that had lymphedema certification. I went and got that and I was like, wait, there is like, a whole lot that you can do with that. And that was helping the wound care. And then, um, that's how I kind of got into Moffitt. Like I had seen like anybody that was cancer related, people get scared of like, they're like, Ooh, cancer. Like all you heard, like in PT school was all the red flags. Like that was like all you, like, you didn't get like, yes, please treat these people. At least not when I was in school. It was like, do they have back pain and you can't describe it? Is it following, you know, these patterns, red flag, red flag, night pain, red flag, like don't treat, refer, refer. Um, And it was finally by like, people would give me their patients and like all the, you know, oncology at the hospital, I'm scared of these lab values. And the doctor, one of the doctors, actually um, his wife had cancer and he was like, trust me, like, I want you to see my wife. And he was, he was seeing like that, early physical therapy was really helping. And so I was getting more and more of those patients and I became more comfortable with them. So when we, um, my husband's a physician. Mm -hmm. And so when we went for residency in Tampa, I applied to Moffitt Cancer Center. And I also applied to different like hospice related jobs. And everybody was like, why would you do that? Like, that sounds like, why would you wanna work with people with cancer or people that are dying? Like, isn't that gonna be sad all the time? And um, honestly, it was the best blessing in my life. I think it was just that you see that like there is there i mean there is some sadness. I'm not gonna like lie that there's not sad situations, but honestly, most things are very hopeful, and you see people getting so much better with everything that you do and feeling so much better mm-hmm. and having so much more independence that um it just you know it's it's fantastic, so
0: mm. long story. <laughs> Sorry. I like it though. And I I am glad you explained. I was wondering like, how did you go from Texas children's to Moffitt? But that makes more sense now. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So how does wound care fit into all of this? I know you said, you know, you were seeing patients who just kind of weren't getting better and there's a lymphedema component. How does wound care fit into oncology care?
1: Yeah. So I mean, your skin is an organ. Um, like, well, let's just start there. And because it's an organ, it can have death and damage and cellular transformation too. So you can, you know, have the cancers of the skin, you can have any mm-hmm. of the, you know, basal, um, squamous, melanoma. So that's, you know, one way in oncology, like the straight cancer of the skin. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're like, all of our cancer treatments are not um, friendly to our external organs. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got your, you know, chemotherapy, which is inhibiting all of the cellular division. Um, depending on the type of chemotherapy, you might not have the good inflammatory response for wound healing. And, um, you know, you may see somebody with chemotherapy and like the thing that goes is, you know, their maybe their hair is, you know, going, their nails are brittle and breaking and falling off and their skin is just dry, or they may have a type of cancer, like a cutaneous lymphoma where you're seeing, um, you know, the bruising and um, different wounds on the outside of their skin. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, you can see it with threaded throughout any of the treatments. It's just, it depends on what type of cancer the patient has Mm -hmm. as to what you might see. So Um, what are some...
0: (laughs) Wait, say that again. I don't know if I
1: answered that completely. If there's anything you wanted me to
0: add. I think that's helpful. I think we're, you know, familiar with like, you know, there's obviously skin cancers, but there's, there's other cancers and there's cancer treatments that can cause wounds for patients. And I'm not going to lie. This was something that surprised me. It shouldn't have, but it did when my very first day, honestly, my very first day of, working as a PT, my very first evaluation, I had a patient who came in, was undergoing radiation therapy for breast cancer. And as part of my evaluation, I was checking her skin and she lifted up her shirt. We were in a private room, so it's not like just in the clinic, lifted up her shirt and her skin was just like sliding off of her body. It was bright red and it, I mean, I'm sure my mouth fell open and it surprised the crap out of me cuz i thought i wasn't expecting to see this in oncology and boy was i wrong
1: yeah, and and it i mean and that's very common um you know it's more so in if they need to have more doses of radiation and what mm-hmm. radiation does is it it's trying to kill those you know cells in the area right but by killing it it's causing dna damage it's traumatizing all the micro microvascular circulation And so because your body's trying to heal those things and you're having to keep going back every day. So this is like a daily occurrence. So radiation, for those that might not know, you know, can span, you know, five to seven weeks easily. um, And they have to go every day. And some forms or some different treatment types, they might go twice a day. And Mm -hmm. so that area just, it's like, it would be like going and sitting in a tanning bed or sitting out in the sun and you got this blistering rash and like maybe the first time you sit out, you just get a little bit, you know, a little bit red. And then, but now you just keep going out and your skin's like, wait, what? And there's creams you can put on it. Um, But sometimes we're just kind of managing. There's not much you can necessarily do except for making sure that there's like, you know, like you said, like the the skin's sloughing off. Like what are you going to do for your treatment that time? And how are you going to manage like the drainage and they can't wear, you know, like if it's on their chest, like a bra, like right there, or like that's going to rub. Like there's lots of implications for your skin overall and treatment and making sure that we're thinking about ways that we can help manage the things that have to happen in order for them to get better and cure this cancer.
0: Mm -hmm. So how, how can, an oncology physical therapist work with this. You know, for me, I came in, I had very little, honestly, interest and knowledge about wound care. Um, To give you an example of how exciting my wound care education was, uh, we were doing a virtual lecture and the professor yawned in the middle of her own lecture. And that kind of just set the whole tone for the semester. It was tragic. It was so tragic. Um, So I was very um, green when it came to wound care. So, I mean, what can we do for the PT who is not wound care specialized, but is realizing that I might need to do some work in this. What do we do? Yeah. So, so there are, there are
1: some classes out there like, and I can get you some, some links to some different, just like basic classes. There's even like, I mean, even I did like the little intro, um, and I don't know if it's still available from the, um, we did the PT cast. Is it still available? It was last April.
0: So yes. yes, it is.
1: It is still available. So you will at least link to that. Like there was just, you know, like a, a quick, like, how do you just assess it? So the, the main thing that you want to do is like, take a measurement. If there is an active wound, take a measurement, make sure you're actually checking their skin. Like you check the skin, but sometimes people come into outpatient. And if it's, you know, range of motion and you, you can, you know, keep the shirt on or something a lot of times, people don't actually physically take a look or take a look at the foot, you know, if they're having swelling and seeing if their shoe's cutting in or what do their legs look like and, you know, see that there's maybe, you know, a whole bunch of wounds. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely working with your team. Somebody had to refer this patient to you. And that person might not know anything about wound care either, but there's usually like a wound care center in your area. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so if you don't want to actually work with this population, you can refer them out. If you're like, I definitely know I don't want to, but I know I need to at least manage a couple things. Mm -hmm. The biggest things would be to look at the patient, to give an idea of, is there anything open that I can measure? And if so, measuring it so that somebody has an idea of it's getting better, worse, like nobody knows you're the one that's going to be seeing them the most. Like, does Mm -hmm. it smell? Does it have an odor? Um, you know, some of these wounds can end up becoming fungating and fungating wounds really have a significant odor to them. Um, Same with if they're infected and patients with cancer are at significant risk for having infections. You know, not Mm -hmm. only like we think about, oh, catching, you know, COVID or the flu or, you know, RSV or something like that, some sort of, you know, you know, nasal thing, but They can also get wound wound infections too, because their body doesn't have the immune response to fight it if they're undergoing some of these treatments or coming off of some of these treatments. Mm -hmm. Um, So those would be places to start is at least, you know, taking a course, measuring something, checking their skin. Um, We want to keep this wound like Goldilocks. So if you think of nothing else, we want to keep it like not too wet, not too dry, but just right. And so there's different products and you can easily look this up mm-hmm. um, you know, on the internet and just say like, hey, I want something that is going to absorb a lot of drainage. And for mm-hmm. those, I usually like a foam. Um, foams are easy to find even over the counter at any of your drugstores stores or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're afraid that they're at risk for infection and they don't have any sort of issues with um, silver products, you could try a silver. But if they're really, really dry, you know, you could do something like maybe a hydrogel. um, And that might really make the wound so that it has like, if it's just like those dry kind of scabby wounds, and they just keep scabbing over, keeping it covered and just keeping it a little bit moist and hydrated, because maybe their body just doesn't have enough support to give that wound some hydration. Mm -hmm. And giving that wound a little bit of hydration can help to heal it. We just really want to close any areas that you know, little microbes and things can get into that we don't want to get into our body.
0: Mm-hmm. Can you answer, I've got a couple follow-up questions to what you just said. So first and foremost, when you talk about foam, so I have a whole roll, which I know you can't see right now. I have oh, a supply a closet gray foam? A whole like a bunch of gray foam for lymphedema. Is that the same thing? It is not the same thing. That's okay. a good question. <laughs> so not think the foam that you
1: would use as a padding Mm-hmm. It is like a specialty wound care foam. Um, they have there's kinds that have adhesive um, to them, so that that way you can just literally peel off the silicone back and mm-hmm. put them on, so they're not so traumatizing. I always try to look for something with a silicone backing, but it's one that is going to just pull up any of the extra wound exudate into it and keep that wound very much like the Goldilocks.
0: Mm. I really like that analogy of Goldilocks. I think that is perfect. <laughs> so, second follow up question to what we were just talking about: What the heck is a fungating wound?
1: So, it when your when your body, um, you know, we have fungus on our body, like, mm-hmm. but when your body doesn't have its normal flora, it starts to create these wounds, and they can look almost like um, cauliflower. Or um, they they can just kind of uh, grow, so they can either just have the fungus that sits on the wound, and it smells like yeasty. Um, it's just very malodorous. It's just very strong wounds because your body doesn't have its normal flora. So we sometimes you hear you hear about stuff like with the gut and needing probiotics and all this different stuff to keep your your gut. Well, your skin has its normal flora. It likes to have and when you're going through different treatments, everything is out of balance. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: so um, these wounds just kind of grow and proliferate the bad stuff that we don't want to have. And we need to take that down. Usually um, for fungating wounds, it would be like with a charcoal activated dressing. And um, so this would be like you would go down to into your pharmacy or look on Amazon or whatever your preferred vendor is and look for like a charcoal activated dressing. And they are similar Mm -hmm. to like the foam dressings, but they take down the odor and take down some of the, the fungus on them. But some mm-hmm. of that doesn't um, happen until you have the proper nutrition to support the great uh, cells that are needed on your your body. And so, you know, working with a dietitian, um, you know, registered dietitian is fantastic for these
0: patients mm-hmm. um, if
1: they're able to have access to one.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. I actually, I don't know if you know, uh, Dr. Crystal Zuniga. She's a registered dietitian out of Austin. Um, I just interviewed her on the podcast, and we were talking about nutrition. So, like, this perfect.
1: (laughs) Yeah, because I mean, the the patients need you need thing you need the building blocks. So you need to have enough protein, but you don't need to be eating like, like you don't need to be eating like a carnivore diet to to have those protein building blocks. You know, because sometimes people are like, oh, protein, I must, I have to eat only like red meat and things like that. So um, it's ways to work within whatever your preferred dietary preferences are, mm-hmm. but getting all the requirements that you need because you need those different colorful, you know, fruits and vegetables to get all of the right nutrition to support the healing in your body. So mm-hmm.
0: glad that so, Why don't you talked to a dietitian. That's great. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm just like so. I mean, I sing them from the rooftop. So yes, super excited. <laughs> A little bit of a mini case study for you. And we've actually talked about this patient previously. So I'm gonna just refresh your memory um, because I know not everybody has heard about this particular patient experience. So I had a patient who I was treating for lymphedema. She had metastatic breast cancer. And that by itself is not too outside the scope of what I was comfortable treating at the time. Like this is, that was kind of my bread and butter. But what surprised me is that when I was doing my evaluation, I was checking her skin, she pulled down her shirt and had this huge opening in her chest that looked down into all of this yellow stuff. And what we found is that I was, as I was treating this patient, I was doing MLD, she was having fluid that was like leaking and oozing out. Can you talk about what the heck that was?
1: Okay. So, um, first of all, like there, when you have um, like you're opening to your skin, so there are various different colors and, that you can experience. And we think of when you get a cut, you usually have bleeding, and you might see like a red line or something like that. Or if you've scraped your knee, maybe it's like a red cut. And that would be like the granular tissue. Mm-hmm. If your wound doesn't heal across. So wounds heal from like the bottom up and then from the sides across. They mm-hmm. like the cells migrate. So they, they come up from the bottom and then they migrate across if they're healing properly. Mm-hmm. And so if it doesn't heal properly, um, some of the tissue doesn't stay granular. Things aren't closing, whatever. It will turn to the yellow color, which can be fibrin and slough. Mm -hmm. And that is something that's like necrotic tissue that we want to get off because it can harbor bacteria and other things that can, um, you know, not be so great. Um, Or it can start to transform and even turn into eschar. So that would be black. Um, Like if you think of a hard scab on the outside, that can be eschar too. And so any sort of opening we can get weeping and leaking from. So sometimes even in a patient that just you know has a lot of swelling from say a um, stem cell transplant, they might just have like they might have some edema in their legs. They don't necessarily have any open wounds, but they might be weeping, just like mm-hmm. weeping because they've had so much edema that the fluid doesn't your system couldn't handle it, and so it's just coming out of little um, leaks within the, the skin. It's like they're like the balloon that's going to burst, mm-hmm. and so when we have that opening, when you're doing MLD some of that, um, usually it's serous fluid. So clear fluid Mm -hmm. would be kind of leaking out. It's just the extra fluid because there isn't that top layer to kind of keep that fluid in um, and into the, and push it into the deeper system. It's just going to go route of least resistance. And so it will Mm -hmm. leak out. And so some of the things that you can do in that case is um, therapy, physical therapists in all 50 states can do sharp debridement. Unfortunately for PTAs, they cannot. They, you know, okay. one time in some areas they could, but they, you know, unless, unless there might be, there might be a state thing that I don't know about because I don't know all the practice acts in mm-hmm. all 50 states, but typically PTAs cannot do sharp debridement, gotcha. but PTs can um, unless something has changed, you know, like all the states that I practice in, physical therapists can do sharp debridement. And so we can actually go in and either with scissors, with tweezers, with scalpels, cut dead tissue only. We cannot. Okay. We cannot do any debrisment to healthy granular tissue. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not within our practice act. So that would be more the surgeons, surgical physicians, nurse practitioners, um, uh, physician assistants that can do that. Mm-hmm. So more of the you know mid level and physician um, practitioners and above. And um, other things that we can do, like if there was like an opening, like in the chest like that, if it was clean, sometimes people will use negative pressure Mm -hmm. and that might be where you would put, um, some people do their own forms of negative pressure with um, like an external uh, canister and pressure device and they don't use any particular brand or there are ones that have different foam dressings that can be portable or um, hospital-based. And you would stick the foam onto the wound area and then layer it with like um, almost like a tegaderm, like a clear plasticky type of dressing Mm -hmm. that's sticky, that would kind of keep any of the air from going in. And then that would stay on the patient 23 out of 24 hours a day because foams can, you know, if they've got wound exudate in them, they can cause bacteria. Mm -hmm. And then that really does that negative pressure helps to Pull those cells together and in and it's definitely been shown to help speed wound healing. So that's a nice, you know, uh, component to wound healing that we can do. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like the wound, it's just gonna, it's gonna leak. So what did you do
0: in that situation Elise? Oh, unfortunately there were there were a lot of things going on for this patient. so this patient had this wound as a result of um, had radiation the first time for the initial breast cancer diagnosis and didn't heal very well and there were probably multiple things. I think especially nutrition was a big component. this patient did have um, a was at a lower socioeconomic status, so there was financial difficulty in getting treatment um, so next round when this patient was diagnosed with metastatic cancer did radiation again and that's when that wound just like never healed and they had already done i think a surgical debridement and it was it was not enough to sustain long term and unfortunately this patient fell off my schedule um, and i don't have a i don't have an ending to this story i don't know what ended up happening with this patient and, and sometimes that happens, you know, where we just don't, we want to know what happened to them. We're like, where did
1: they go? And like, like you, there's no follow-up numbers to where you can call them or things yeah. like that. Um, oftentimes if they don't heal well, um, and like you've tried like your typical wound care, maybe you tried the negative pressure, um, physicians might go in and do some sort of skin graft or flap, mm-hmm. especially in areas for radiation. Because um, remember I said that like that microvascular Um, structure has been damaged so much by the radiation. And sometimes your body just doesn't have the ability to revascularize the tissue and it's just Mm -hmm. permanently damaged. So they may go in and and resect that area and take, you know, flap our graft from like a thigh or a buttock or somewhere else, abdomen, and put it up into the area. And then we would have our typical post-op you know, complications that we have to watch for making sure we're not moving that area, um, you know, excessively until it's kind of, you know, recombined and, and stable for healing. But that's another thing that you might see as some sort of graft or flap, especially in areas for radiation.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. This patient would have really benefited. And I think really that negative pressure wound, like once that wound had been cleaned out, I think would have, you know, negative pressure therapy would have been really beneficial for this patient. Um, yeah. I don't have a resolution to this story, but I wish I did. And many
1: companies, like, because uh, it's a real, like, wound dressings are really expensive. Like, yeah. to get some of those foam dressings can be, like, for four of them, you know, 20 $25. And if that's, like, your grocery budget for the week because you are, you know, living under harder circumstances, like if there's any way you can get your patient, you know, there's, um, resources from the companies for, you know, free dressings or dressings that are just about to expire. Like you can even ask some of your facilities, like, Hey, do you have any, any dressings that are expired or about to expire? Because it's, it's better than nothing for these patients, you know, and if there's not anything that you're seeing on them, like, you know, having some sort of, you know, way that they can actually care for themselves so that they're not continuing like the spiral down their wounds is really important.
0: And to that note also, um, Aubrey, I don't know if you've encountered facilities that do this. The facility I used to work at, they would ask patients to donate unused materials, not just for wounds, but just kind of along their cancer journey in general. And so sometimes you could maybe find stuff that way too, that patients didn't use it, it was unused. Um, you know, like obviously still wrapped up and was given back to the facility that that facility can then give to other patients who need it.
1: Yeah. And and sometimes there's medical also um, like medical free cycle sites, like where people are like on those like almost like next door, but it's like a free cycle and there's medical pages for it. Like we have, you know, 30 rolls of curlics that are unused, come pick them up at our house. Especially if you live in a bigger city, it doesn't work as well for somebody in a rural population, Mm -hmm. unless like they coordinated it with like the care that they would receive when they go into the larger facility. Um,
0: But, you know, it's another source that maybe to check. Yeah, absolutely. Can we talk a little bit about how lymphedema and wounds work together yes
1: yes we can um so the especially in the lower extremities like I honestly don't think that I've seen any you know lymphedema related wounds in the upper extremity unless there was something else going on like there was some sort of um, issue in the axilla that like wasn't healing like something that wasn't healing already and lymphedema was already present but for the most part it's almost always in those lower extremity regions, Mm -hmm. or somebody that was at risk for lymphedema, they, you know, underwent some sort of surgical procedure, they didn't maybe necessarily have, um, you know, lymphedema that we could see at Mm -hmm. the time. So it wasn't Mm -hmm. any any sort of severe thing. And then when they come out of surgery, well, now, like, their, you know, leg has the normal post-surgical edema, like everybody's going to have some sort of post-surgical edema. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean it's lymphedema. Um, But if it's, you know, staying like after those six weeks or so, um, after, you know, post-surgical healing should have, you know, been done, like everything should kind of start to look normal. Um, If there's wounds still there, well, then it's probably related to lymphedema. And so you can have where the post-surgical edema just doesn't go away. And therefore, the surgical site is just being stretched and manipulated and you can get wound dehiscence that way. Mm -hmm. Um, Or you could have, you know, a lymphedema that over time in the legs just starts to overwhelm that venous system. And so then you become like the venous system just no longer can really help get that extra fluid um, into the deeper system. And so from there, then there's all this stagnant extra lymph and venous fluid pooling into that extracellular space and so you know you're getting these stretching your mummy getting some of those skin color changes like that brown yeah. red hemosiderin things and again it's like that that bubble like that big balloon like if you had a big red balloon and you've blown it up and it's just all ready to go and it's like that pink Um, weeping might start. And then when you get that weeping, that skin just starts to get like, think about if you'd been in like the bathtub for a long period of time, and you've got like that wrinkly skin, and that skin just kind of just doesn't feel quite right, like that extra moisture. Mm -hmm. Like over time, that extra moisture is just going to start to break down the weak areas. And Mm -hmm. usually those are along our venous lines, like around the uh, medial malleolus, And areas also where there's, you know, more um, tension and shearing too, because of shoes and socks and our ankle joint moving and wounds will start to kind of occur. And so, um, you know, we want somebody, it's good to be able to have both the skills of being able to at least manage, you know, some of those wounds before they get, you know, too involved as a lymphedema therapist or manage the edema before this even happens. So if you're seeing people Mm -hmm. with those, you know, brown, red legs, and and they're swollen. Maybe they're and maybe they're not coming to you for lymphedema therapy, mm-hmm. but maybe using those edema techniques to help start to manage them so that they don't develop those wounds and that you're not having to do wound care, especially if you don't want to. Like, let's do prevention first,
0: right? So let's chat more about that. And it doesn't have to be specific to lymphedema, but how can we as oncopts be trying to prevent wounds or reduce the risk of a person developing wounds?
1: So looking at lab values, if you have access to those, okay. See, like, Hey, what are their protein levels? Do they even have the right level of, you know, good building blocks for wound healing? Like if they, if you're already seeing that they have no protein and now you're doing like exercise with them and all this stuff, like at some point, their body's just not going to have the ability to rebuild themselves how they mm-hmm. should. So again, mm-hmm. working with dietary, like we said, making sure that we're checking those lab values, making sure that their skin's well hydrated, yeah. Um, and almost always, if like most facilities, you can request, and you don't have to be a physician, you can request for samples of lotion and say, "I work at a facility. I work with people that are at risk. Can I get some use samples for uh, my patients?" And they'll give you like a little, you know, box and. You know, it, you know, you don't have to be brand loyal. You can get all different types of different mm-hmm. unscented moisturizers, and you can send the patients with like little, you know, bottles, little hand creams, um, just because that you start to get just those dry from all the treatments from not having enough hydration, making sure that the patient's as hydrated as they can be, um, even when they've got edema, that doesn't mean that they're, 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 sometimes patients will think, oh, I've got edema, so I shouldn't drink shouldn't be hydrated. Nope. False. Um, making sure that we're adequately hydrating ourselves mm-hmm. and um, protecting the skin from any sort of, you know, best we can, like lotion. Or if it's like, if it's really, really moist and they've got skin folds and um, areas where maybe fungus is going to start building up, mm-hmm. you know, using cornstarch or seeing if they can get a nice statin powder. Um, those are very inexpensive. So even, you know, they can get paid for usually under most Medicaid systems, even um, that they can get those um, paid for if they're on Medicaid and then getting into those skin folds and making sure that they're um, not overly moist. The bottoms of the feet um, can tend to mm-hmm. you know, be really um, bad. Making sure, can they check their feet? Can they actually see any of their areas? Can they examine their where the areas are that are at risk for them? You know, so can they visualize those things? And then making sure that their clothing, shoe wear, everything fits properly. Like, do they, is there are things cutting into them anywhere? Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's just not looking, you know, quite right. And that we're actually visually examining their skin. Like, we mm-hmm. just have to see where does it seem like there's already things going on that we can maybe, you know, throw some mole skin onto something so it's not rubbing or, asking them to change their socks a couple extra times, you know, or we might have to make something for them. I got of tuba grip or something like that to, yeah. kind of, you know, we get creative. We kind of do a little arts and crafts and, and physical therapy and occupational therapy. So we can do that.
0: One of the things that we've been talking about, but haven't specifically addressed so far in this interview is bras and radiation therapy. So, because let's face it, a good chunk of the patients that, my audience are probably seeing are probably breast cancer survivors who either are going to undergo radiation, are undergoing radiation, or have undergone radiation for breast cancer. How are you addressing this? Because bras are sometimes my mortal enemy. And I would love to hear your perspective and your approach on this.
1: So it depends on where they're at within the healing stages. So if they're undergoing radiation, right, you know, currently, it depends on the size of the breast. Like, do they have their their breast intact? Are they getting a lumpectomy? Um, is it mastectomy? Mm-hmm. So how much breast tissue do they need to support? Um, that makes a very big decision on what you're going to do. Okay. So um, if they don't have any any uh, tissue to really support, like if they've gone, you know, double mastectomy or something, it's actually really easy then because mm-hmm. you can, you know, make a, a tuba grip you know, bra if you need to, if they don't want to get any of their, you know, camisoles or anything dirty. So usually what they'll give like is after surgery, they'll have like a tank top that also has, Mm -hmm. you know, specialty little clips that can hold your drains and things like that. Um, so usually patients will get like one or two of those, you know, right after having surgery. Mm -hmm. If they don't want to get those dirty or they're like, no, not right now. I can't even tolerate that much on me. Um, you know, I might make them a tuba grip, like that would kind of come up around the neck and cut underneath, like almost like a little half top. And I might put um, that foam wound dressing on them or some non-adherent dressing over the area Mm -hmm. um, with whatever lotions, when it's radiation, you have to talk to the radiation oncologist and their team because they are very specific on when you can and cannot put on the radiation tissue. Right. Right. And so it'll be whatever they will allow me to put on that tissue. Um, and then that kind of helps hold everything in place. Now, if it's somebody that isn't necessarily right at the part of um, radiation, they're doing okay, you know, and they, they wanna upgrade that um, handful bras are, are pretty good, like an open front closure. Like if they really need something that's a little bit more sports specific or they really do need that support, there's a couple of different kinds um, of those. There's um, also some that are just very light that kind of um, almost are like nursing bras. Um, Wazelle Mm -hmm. has a, which is like O-I-S-E-L-L-E, I I think, um, has one that's like a luxe bra that the fabric feels really good. If Mm -hmm. you're um, having any issues with um, fabric, I like to try to keep a couple different kinds for samples that somebody Mm -hmm. can kind of see and try. what might work, but it's, it's definitely a lot of, um, so breast dependent, (laughs) like,
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: But, but I mean, honestly, you can reach out, like, so if you have a patient, you're like, I don't know what to, what to use or whatever, like you can reach out to myself, you can put it out, Hey, you know, Mm -hmm. med, med breast Twitter, like, you know, what would you recommend for, I have a patient with this and this, and you'll get like 50 different opinions. Mm-hmm. And you can like look and see, would that work? Would that work with where my patient's incisions are? Um, you know, something like that. Like if there's, you know, one of those complex patients that you just don't know what to do with.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Twitter for the win really helped me out the other day, um, <laughs> actually for my, for a next upcoming podcast guest. So yeah, yes. <laughs> big yeah. proponent of that, which is awesome. What have you mm-hmm. been using for like bra wise? Yeah. Uh, when we're in the throes of radiation and they can tolerate it, um, which most of my patients, like the, the examples that I gave in this podcast episode are my extremes. I remember them (laughs) because they were so like, Oh my gosh. But I have really found a lot of success with Ana Ono bras. Um, they're very soft and I like how they don't I don't know if you can see this and I know people listening to the podcast episode can't, but they don't traditionally sit right under the breast tissue. They tend to come down a little more and this right in here, like I said, right under that breast tissue is where I see a lot of patients have that rubbing. Um, Same after like reconstruction or even mastopexies, you know, I see a lot of breast scars right under here and those bras just rub and rub and rub. And when you've already got potentially friable tissue. It's just a recipe for wounds and problems. And
1: and there's crop tops. So you can get ones that come a Mm -hmm. lot, a lot lower. The problem is, is that if they have a lot of breast tissue, they may need to do extra powder underneath um, the breast because it's not supporting them underneath Mm -hmm. as much. Um, So they just need something to kind of get that extra, you know, dampness to the, to the area. Um, definitely like there's, Athleta makes some really good ones as, so does nice. Title Nine. Nice. Um, like thinking about that, like, as you're saying it, I'm like, oh yeah, there's definitely like all these other makers that mm-hmm. they use.
0: Right. Yeah. So there's a lot, there's a lot out there and I feel like I'm having to always keep up and learn more because there's, there, you know, there's a lot of really great products that even aren't necessarily oncology specific, but can work really well for our patients. So yeah. Yeah. But yeah, uh, Aubreen, anything you'd like to leave my listeners with today about wounds and Onco PT? I mean,
1: I I think that they, like, just that they all have the skills. Like, they, you have these skills. You don't have to be afraid of it. Like, you are capable. So just look at their skin, measure, try to prevent anything. And, um, you know, there's resources available to you. And you can always, like, shout out you know, within the oncology, um, community and people are more than willing to, you know, work with you and help you out. So it's, you're not alone. Like you're, you're not in a, it might feel like you're alone at that time, but, um, you know, or even find grabbing a mentor. If you see these patients, um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, um, through the oncology Academy, um, we have a mentorship for our new professionals and students. And so I even told my, you know, Um, mentee that, Hey, here's my cell phone number. And if you are in a room and you're not sure what to do, if I'm able to like text me and if I'm able to, Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll respond to you, but just do what you think is right. And we can talk about it later. But if you're like, I'm really freaked out, just text me. And there there's, there's a lot of people that would be willing to do that. Like we're not always available like all the time, but you know, there's that the programs there for a reason. So if this is Mm -hmm. something that you're like, I don't know, I'm kind of scared. I'm you know, I don't feel like I'm always doing this right. Like, get yourself a mentor. You know,
0: oh, that's such a wonderful idea. And I, I'm kind of kicking myself I haven't thought of that yet for my own mentees.
1: <laughs> that's it was mean. It's just like I mean, she like my 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 mentee is she's great. She has the skills, but sometimes it's just having that reassurance. You know, yeah. like you just are you're afraid of what you don't know. Like you're like I'm not sure you know, that I, I know this. And it's like, you do. And you like nothing she said was, was ever incorrect. It's like, she, she knows it. It's just feeling the reassurance and knowing yeah. that you're not alone.
0: Mm, I love that. Um Aubreen, where can people find you on social media? So on Twitter,
1: I'm Aubrey Fiori and on Instagram, I am private. So you have to like request and I don't always go in all the time, but I'm little blue eyes too on Instagram. <laughs> so
0: extra special, but yeah. you're very active on Twitter. I see I'm you on very all active the time. On Twitter. So that's a really, at least from my experience, a very great solid place to get a hold of Aubrey if you have questions. So would highly recommend following her on Twitter. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> and um, Aubrey, I will make sure to link to the virtual oncology physical therapy summit in today's show notes. Uh, if you do want to dive a little deeper into wound care and how it pertains to oncology physical therapy, she did an Excellent presentation. It was wonderful. We talk about all of the like the tissue types and the stages, feeling and different dressings. And cannot recommend enough. Um, it was a fantastic overview of that semester that I just like tuned out in PT school about wound care. So I really, really appreciate that, Aubrey. <laughs>
1: and and there's more than just me on there. Like just mm-hmm. just so you know, it's not only like there's a little bit of everything in oncology. So it's pretty fantastic.
0: Well, thank well, you, so much, you so much, Aubrey. This was wonderful. I really appreciate your time and talking about wound care because I think a lot of oncopts are really unfamiliar with this. And then when you start throwing in other aspects of, well, we have cancer treatment and then sometimes we also have lymphedema that's affecting here, it can get really overwhelming. And I really appreciate you breaking it down for my audience. Yeah, well, Thank you for having me. Documentation is a necessary part of the skilled care we provide. But it can be time-consuming and require way too much brain power at the end of a long day. You need an easy button to get high-quality documentation done faster. You're going to love my new documentation templates, which you can find for free at theoncopt.com slash documentation. Again, that's theoncopt.com slash documentation.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Onco PT
0: podcast. For more episodes visit the oncopt.com.